I am convinced that if a birthday party is going to be a birthday party at all, there's got to be a pinata there. Now you think about it, you could spend money on your nice cake, but if you only get vanilla cake, then the people who are chocolate lovers will be like, oh, no thank you, I'll pass. Or you think about you line up a good spread with hot dogs and you've got pickles and ketchup and everything for the kids. And you ever notice kids, they eat like half a hot dog and they throw the rest out. And then you buy all these drinks and when everybody's gone, you got all these drinks left over because not everybody wanted what you had there. But you show up with a pinata, the place goes crazy. Really, it does. The kids get in line, and they're anxious, and they're ready, and, you know, everybody knows the drill, shortest to tallest, and the, the parents and the grandparents and friends, they gather around, and they got their cell phones taking pictures and videos because they know something funny about to happen, right? And so it was recently attended the birthday party where we went with a pinata, and it was one particular girl who, she had her eyes covered, and, boy, she was giving it everything she got. She wasn't hitting a thing. She was trying, and the people were yelling. They were trying to help her, and she missed it, and going back and forth. You can kind of tell there's a little bit of, when am I ever going to hit this thing? And finally, she took one swing, and she missed it. But then the miraculous happened. Her bandana fell down from her eyes. (laughs) Friends, I had never seen eyeballs that big in my life. Her eyes got this big, her mouth, and she just started breaking that thing like she never could before. And out comes the candy. If you can imagine that kind of excitement, if you can imagine the parents and everybody else around the piñata laughing like crazy with joy, I think in some way you can imagine what it was like When John the Baptist is out in the river and all these people are coming to him, as Luke said, expecting. They were full of expectation, I think in a way full of joy because they thought that in John, this wild-haired, crazy-looking guy, that they had found God's promise. And so they've heard his message, repent and be baptized, and they've come to be baptized. In my mind, I see a long line of people. They're all waiting to turn, and John's in the river, and he's baptizing them one at a time, dunking them in and lit them out. And there's joy to be found everywhere. And while John is taking each one by one, dunking them and sending them out, eventually somebody shows up that makes them stop in his track. Jesus strolls in that John says, <laughs> wait a minute. See, you're the one that I've been telling everybody I'm not good enough to do anything for. And Luke doesn't tell us how this works out, but we, we see it in other Gospels. But we do know that John feels like he is unworthy even to untie the sandals of Jesus. And yet here is Jesus in front of them to be baptized. Now, surely there's this feeling of unworthiness that John has, but I think, I think even a little bit of excitement too as, as he gets to dunk Jesus, watch Jesus come up out of that water. Now friends, today is um, in the life of the church, in the church calendar, baptism of the Lord Sunday. We've gone through Christmas, 
We've heard of the, uh, the epiphany. And now we, we, we start our calendar, we start our hearts by focusing on the baptism of Jesus and what that meant for Jesus and, and what it means for us as well. Now, Luke's gospel, you heard the story, doesn't say a whole lot about what actually happened. Now, that's interesting because baptism, baptism is one of those, oh, those sensitive subjects in the church, right? Maybe if you've ever talked to somebody from another denomination, you've had some of that experience. And what I want to tell you today is that there should be a lot of conversation about baptism. Baptism is important. In our understanding, it's a sacrament. It's one of the acts that Christ showed us how to do. And so it's something we hold on to. It's something very meaningful for us. But I don't want to get too much for today into what baptism is or what it might mean. You, you, you have to. Maybe you can set up an appointment. We'll talk about it later. But... But you have to understand at the very least, there is something that we are doing in our baptism. Very importantly, more importantly, there's something that God is doing in our baptism. We heal the waters, or where we reaffirm our baptism as well. There's also a calling in our baptism, when we recognize that we are taking on the calling of God, and it takes understanding, and sometimes it takes time to figure out what that means, and what that looks like, and how we fit into that. But those are all parts of the conversation of baptism that we'll leave for another time. For today, there's one particular aspect that stands out to me about Jesus' baptism and about what what we are here to do today. In this long line of people, Jesus comes to the waters. He comes to the water with every sinner that came before him and every sinner that would come after him. He gets baptized just like them. Then after he's baptized, well, he does what everybody does when they've been baptized, right? He goes to pray. As he's praying, Luke says, heaven opens up. And he hears this message from God. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well. Now, I know of a lot of people who would love to hear those words from somebody else. I know people who wish that their spouse would say that about them or would feel that way about them. I know there are families that just wish that they could appreciate and love each other that same way. I know we wish our friends would feel that way about us. I know we know people that only love us or like us for what they think they can get out of us. And so we long to hear those words. With you, I'm well pleased. From very early on, as children, I think we learned that, well, sometimes people don't really like us. I remember the first time I told my children that I'm okay with not everybody liking me. And they said, not everybody likes you, Dad. It was a big shock to them, but I think we all learn that, don't we? That sometimes what happens is we, we, we alter ourselves. We change the way we do things. Sometimes we change things about us so that other people will like us. Now, it's bad when kids do that. But what we learn about kids is that kids grow up to be adults who do the same things. 
And so quite often we spend our lives trying to figure out how we can get others to accept who we are. Maybe we'll join a particular group. Maybe we'll start doing particular things. But we want to hear those words that I'm pleased with you. Hey, I like you. Now, how to deal with that in and of itself is, I think, a whole other topic. But what happens is we feel that way with other people. We feel like we have to earn other people's acceptance. We feel like we have to change who we are. And then we feel like we have to do that with God as well. Then we feel like we have to change ourselves for God to care, for God to to hear us, for God to love us. Friends, I want to remind you that that is a spiritual blindness that many of us face. It's a a mark over our eyes that keeps us from seeing what it is God wants us to see. We feel like, well, maybe God will hear me when I start giving more. Or maybe God will do this for me. Maybe God will have a little more pity on me if I do go to church. Maybe God would actually love someone like me if I got my act together. Reality, friends, you and I were formed in the image of God. And that's good enough for God. That's good enough for God. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes we stray and we do things and we get ourselves involved in certain things that don't please God. That's a whole other conversation. But you, as you are, hear me, friends, are good enough for God to love. Now, that is a message we have to be reminded of, and that is a message that we have to be willing to share as well. We don't come to God when we get it all together. We don't come to God when we get our finances right. We don't come to God when we have our theological terms down. We don't come to God when we have ourselves right. Because if we wait for that, we'll be waiting for a very long time. You see, God, I think, wants to take us exactly where we are. Warts and all. Failings and all. And God wants to do something great with that. And the idea that we have to perfect ourselves first before God wants to love us or before God will do anything with us is a spiritual blindness. And what I am praying for you and I is that the miraculous would show up again and just remove that blindness. So that with joy, excitement, and expectation, we can be ready for what God wants to do in us, for us, and through us. And that is the point, friends, of what we are doing here today. In so many words, that is what our friend Wesley wanted people to be reminded of. They are loved by God, and therefore they have God's work to do. And so let me give you the invitation. As you consider who you are, God's beloved, 
as you consider those words from Isaiah from, that come from God that say that you are mine. Let me commend to you to commit yourselves to Christ as his servants. To give yourselves to him that you may belong to him. Friends, Christ has many services to be done. And what we realize is that some are more easy and honorable. Others are more difficult and disgraceful. Some are suitable to our inclinations and our interest. Many others are contrary to both. And some, we may please Christ and please ourselves, but then there are other works where we cannot please Christ except by denying ourselves. It is necessary, therefore, that we consider what it means to be a servant of Christ. And friends, this is a very, I hope, meaningful time that we have to evaluate our own lives. And we're not asking you to stand up and say certain things, but we're asking you that in your heart and in your faith right now, that you would take this time to consider where it is you stand with God, how it is you've taken that message that you are God's own. For some of us, we can do that perfectly well where we're seated. Others of us, it's a very meaningful thing to have time here at the altar railing. If you think that this is a time that you want to spend up here, I want to give you the invitation. If you'd like to join us at the altar railing as we go through this liturgy, uh, in in, in a form of prayer, obviously, but um, bringing your sheet with you so that you can follow along. As we pray together, what I want you to hear, what I want you to realize is a covenant that God has already made with us, and therefore the covenant that we are reaffirming with God now. Does that make sense? So if you want to, you can join us up here. Friends, considering the call of Christ into our lives, let us therefore go to Christ and pray. Be satisfied that Christ shall give you your place and work. Christ will be the Savior of none but his servants. He is the source of all salvation to those who obey. And Christ will have no servants except by consent. And Christ will not accept anything except full consent to all that he requires. Christ will be all in all, or he will be nothing. Confirm then this by a holy covenant. And to make this covenant a reality in your life, friends, listen to these admonitions. First, set apart some time, more than once, to be spent alone before the Lord. 
and seeking earnestly God's special assistance and gracious acceptance of you, and carefully thinking through all the conditions of the covenant and searching your hearts whether you have already freely given your life to Christ. Consider what your sins are. Consider the laws of Christ, how holy, strict, and spiritual they are, and whether you, after having carefully considered them, are willing to choose them all. Be sure you are clear in these matters so that you do not lie to God. Second, be serious and in a spirit of holy awe and reverence. Third, claim God's covenant. Rely upon God's promise of giving grace and strength so you can keep your promise. Trust not your own strength and power. Fourth, resolve to be faithful. You have given to the Lord your hearts. You have opened your mouths to the Lord. and You have dedicated yourself to God. With God's power, never go back. And last, be then prepared to renew your covenant with the Lord. Fall down on your knees. Lift your hands toward heaven. Open your hearts to the Lord as we pray together. O righteous God, God requires that you shall put away all your idols. Through Christ, God has offered to be your God again if you would let him. God has given the Lord Jesus Christ as the only way and means of coming to God. Christ has told you 
that you must suffer with him. God has given holy laws as the rule of your life. Almighty God searches and knows your heart. Oh, gracious God, we are thankful to you for the love and the grace that you are always so willing to share with us. We are grateful to you, God, for your faithfulness to us that comes in spite of our unfaithfulness to you. This day, God, we have renewed our hearts. We have renewed our covenant with you. And our prayer is that you would then free us for joyful obedience. God, as people who have renewed our covenant as people who have taken you up on your promises once more, God, fill us with your joy. Fill us by the power of your Holy Spirit with the hope and the assurance that comes from being a child of God. Help us, Lord, to hear those words again. You are mine. In Jesus' name.